Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The 2019 Year in Review episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but for me, A game is 10 times more exciting when I'm putting my money on the line. Sometimes I just have a gut feeling about a matchup, and sometimes I'm just betting on my team because they are my team. Regardless, whether you've been betting for years or you're ready to play for the first time, MyBookie is your best bet this season. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If you like a couple of big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. And if you really want to support your team this season, don't just sit on the sidelines. Get in the game with MyBookie.ag. And if you're going to join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.ag today where you play, you win, you get paid. Well, guys, here we are. It's the end of the rainbow, uh, or the end of the turd bowl, whatever you want to call it, the 2019 uh, season. Um, the last show of the for that season, I know it's not the last show of the year, it's actually the first show uh, of 2020, but uh, the last one um, that is centric on 2019. And um, I'm happy to be done with it, to be honest with you. You, you know, you guys heard me say on the 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 preview episode to week 17 the review episode after week 17 saying that you know i'm not happy that the football season is ending you know the playoffs and everything pretty good wild card weekend by the way um but i was definitely ready for the bears to be done and they are done so we can just wash this season away trudge our way through the off season and get to 2020 to see if we can right the ship and be the team that we were in 2018, or will we continue down this path of frustration and struggle uh, in 2020 and beyond in the new decade? So um, I'm I'm anxious to find out what happens next now that we can close the book on this uh, ultra-disappointing season. And um, my guest today, as he usually is on these review episodes, or these year-in-review episodes, uh, is our good friend from Locked on Bears, uh, Lauren Cox, he and I talk at great length about uh, about this season, everything that went down. Um, you know, we pretty much kind of go game by game, if you will, uh, talking about the year and they just talk about how insane it was that there there's really no pinpointing one thing that the Bears were bad at because they took turns being bad at everything. One week was the passing game, you know, the, like we, we talked about the Saints, 54 passes, seven runs. And then the following week against the, the Chargers were a power eye football team and David Montgomery runs for a buck 40 or whatever it was uh, against the Chargers. And, and uh, 
We're a team that they can't get to the red zone, but whenever we do, we score touchdowns 80% of the time and then flip the script from being a team that can always get to the red zone but has to settle for field goals and never can close the deal and put it uh, in the end zone. And then, of course, the struggles with, with the defense and, and you know having, not being able to close the deal in the fourth quarter, the lack of a pass rush outside of, of Khalil Mack and all the rest of that stuff. It was this, that, and the other this season. And that's what makes the 2020 offseason so interesting because when everything seemed to go wrong this year, and when I mean everything, I mean not being able to pinpoint that it was one thing that you need to improve upon. Because everything is the, the, the chicken and the egg uh, with this team. The offensive line struggled so we couldn't run. And we couldn't run so that made it more difficult to pass. Our quarterback wasn't trying to throw the ball downfield because we couldn't trust the offensive line. The receivers ran short routes because they didn't trust the quarterback and you know all that kind of stuff. Same thing with the secondary or, and well, the secondary and the pass rush. Did the secondary get worse because the pass rush wasn't good or did the pass rush get worse because the secondary wasn't as good? So on and so forth. It, it's an interesting offseason that we're heading into. And um, we're just going to dive right in to, the, to this thing with, uh, with Lauren Cox because God knows we talk for a while. I hope you guys get comfortable. Lauren and I love to talk when we get together uh, and chat about our uh, beloved. So um, stick around at the end. Maybe talk about a few things about what's ahead. Uh, for 2020 in this off season and um, yeah so we'll see you at the end of it without further ado this is the 2019 year 2019 year in review episode of the Bears Talk Underground with myself and Lauren Cox so let's get to it One last episode to wrap up the 2019 season, even though we're on the other side and it's 2020 now. But uh, one last look at this season before we just wipe it from our memories forever and move on to 2020 and hope hopefully uh, you know better and brighter prospects uh, ahead. And as usual, to help me sum up the year, what is this, year three or four that we're doing this? My good friend from Locked on Bears, it's Lauren Cox. Lauren, welcome back, man. Happy New Year. It, these years go by so fast. They the do. seasons go by so fast. If you could tell me it's been a decade, and I'd probably believe you, but <laughs> I appreciate joining you as always. So, Lauren, we've talked a few times this year, and obviously we've kept in touch along the way, for, you know, privately and such. And you and I talked, you know, famously at the end of last season, again at the beginning of this year, uh, and talked about how highly anticipated this season was. Uh, I went on record even last year before the season started, right after the Khalil Mack trade, about how excited I was about 2019. Year two in the system, year two all of these new guys playing together for the second year uh, in a row. It just felt like this was the year that was destined to be the year of Chicago. And, and you know, then 2018 happens, and it's like, oh, man, now 2019 really looks like something special because 2018 I think was above and beyond anything that any bear fan could have hoped for or expected that season we go right ahead pretty much with the same team that that took us to 12 and 4 in a division title and 
tweaked a few players here and there. Haha, Clinton Dixon for Adrian Amos. We bring in Cordero Patterson uh, for Josh Bellamy. That's a huge upgrade, uh, in my opinion. We bring in David Montgomery. We jettison Jordan Howard. So we pretty much got the same team that we had a year ago that had all of that success. We expected better results than what we had, or at least to go deeper in the playoffs if we couldn't do better than 12-4. and four. And it went off the rails almost immediately when the season started. Well, you started that with a, a sigh that I think really said it all. Right. right. It was, <laughs> ah, the 2019 season. I think that <laughs> really encapsulates everything. But it, the, the the sighing really began in week one, as it felt oh. like this this was supposed to be like, like you said, 2019 was supposed to be the difference. Like this was supposed to be a break in what was the norm for Chicago Bears in the last 30 years. And it started off the same way so many have, and maybe we should have learned from that or should have let that change our expectations much more immediately, knowing you know that week one would sort of be the precursor for what was to come this season because you had some inconsistency from Mitchell Trubisky and inability to consistently run the ball and an offense that pretty much had to solely flow through Allen Robinson in order to get anything going. But of course, you know, you lose to Green Bay and it's it's sort of the same old, same old. This was supposed to be the year that the Bears really fully were, again, surpassing the Packers and no more excuses for Green Bay because they've got their new head coach and everything. And none of that came true at all. And it was just sort of the the start of a lot more disappointment to follow. And what was so, so, you know, disappointing about that year or that year, well, I mean, that's the theme of the whole season, but so disappointing about that game was that the defense played so well in that game. I mean, five sacks on Rodgers. I mean, I've said it a thousand times. Five sacks on Rodgers, 47 yards rushing for the Packers. We held Green Bay to 10 points. And essentially, we got our asses kicked in that game, which sounds impossible after what I just told you. But that's basically what happened. The Packer defense um, didn't necessarily outplay our defense, but they were way better than the the offense that the Bears put on the field uh, that night. Nothing didn't even look like the the second anything close to what resembled the offense that took the field in the second half against um, the Eagles in the wild card game, where Mitch threw for like three hundred yards in the second half. There was like no, it felt like there was no continuity from the year before, right? right? I mean, that's what we were looking to is here's where the Bears were. Let's see them take that next step and really pick up where they had left off. And it felt like they were sort of, I don't want to say starting over from scratch, but what, what you saw in that week one game was just was nowhere near where they had finished. And, and that was another sort of theme of this season of like, you know, last year we saw the, the, clear development from week one to week 17 and into the wildcard game of how much improvement we saw from Trubisky and the Bears offense, all while the defense continued to play well. And it felt like we had to re-follow that same trajectory path of like starting from sort of square one after week one of saying this offense needs to really get back to basics and just do some of the simple things and build your way up until, you know, we work to later in the season by week 17, we're seeing a, a much more robust Bears offense with a running game that finally starts to get going and other wide receivers starting to get involved and Mitchell Trubisky calming down a little bit more and, and being able to take more of what the defense gave him. And, and week one was just that that unfortunate reminder of all of the progress that was still going to need to be made in 2019. Yeah. And, and you know, for those of us trying to remain optimistic after week one, uh, you know, for, for me, for years, I, I ran a pick league with a bunch of my friends 
the hardest week of the season to predict is almost always week one because you're going based on last season's information. And we know we learned the hard way this year that one season is completely different from the season before it. And in a basically almost nothing carries over uh, at times. So you almost wanted to write off, okay, it was the, you know, the first game of the season. Number one, Nagy played nobody in the preseason, so these guys haven't played a meaningful football game since January. And, you know, I don't care what Nagy says, you're, as, as many reps as you get in, the, uh, in training camp is not meaningful snaps or, or anything like that. It just, okay, fine. We got that first game under our belts. We get a little bit of a break. Then we got Denver, and that was the one where I started to ha- panic a little bit, thinking like, okay, we might be in trouble here because the Broncos are not a very good football team. It certainly weren't at the beginning uh, of the season anyway. They finished strong, but they did did not start out very well, and the Bears struggled as mightily as they could have and had to get a lucky break in order to come out with a win and avoid an 0-2 start there. But I see, again, I think that game sort of played into the sort of this idea of like with what Mitchell Trubisky did in the last drive of that fourth quarter right. and the, the big completion to Allen Robinson and then the game-winning field goal, it was almost like all of the sins of that game and, and maybe even to some extent the game before were – I don't want to say forgotten or erased, but at least minimized to like, well, this team found a way to win. And Trubisky came up in the most important moment, which was seemingly what mattered the most for him. And of course, finding a kicker that could hit a game winning field goal with the game on the line in the final seconds of a game was another. And there was sort of all these like other reasons to point to, I guess, optimism, which, again, maybe overlooking in in hindsight some of the issues that were still at large there, but it, like even from that Denver game, it wasn't for another few weeks before some of the Bears' problems really started to become so much of a problem to keep them from consistently winning. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's you're you're right. The 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 drive at the end uh, of the game, and and how is it that we have the most clutch quarterback in the NFL in the final two minutes? of the game but those first 58 minutes are a disaster more times than how do we luck into that i mean how come we can't get the guy that's awesome for the first 58 minutes and then chokes in the final two minutes because honestly i think i would take that trade well it's (laughs) it you you know there's there's a lot of uh a lot of teams that might not take that trade when you get (sighs) at the end of some of those games but man you know it's like you could put could you put chase daniel in for the first 40 or for for, what is it the first uh but 48 out of the six, or 50, yeah. 60 minutes and then let Trubisky do the final two. But no, he, I mean, he just, it's like in those clutch moments, he kind of turns his brain off and yeah. just plays football. And during the rest of the game, it seems like it's not quite that easy for him to just flip into that mode. And it's all part of that mental side of quarterbacking that we can't really quantify. And it's can't, you know, a coach can't necessarily drill that out in those game situations. It's, it's just one of those weird enigmas that is, Mitchell Trubisky as a whole. Yeah, and and one of the other themes uh, of the season was when the Bears were were getting victories or in the victories that we did get this year, there was always some kind of aftertaste to them. There was always kind of a yeah, but uh, attached to, to each victory. We got that win over Denver, but we probably should have lost because of that that gimme that the refs gave us on that roughing the passer call, even though it was kind of a, a get-back call because the refs owed us two bad calls that they made earlier on us. But 
the timing of it, it's like, holy Christ, man, that's <laughs> we didn't really deserve it, but we'll take it kind of thing. The following week against Washington on Monday night, hey, we finally have a touchdown pass. Our first three touchdown passes uh, of the season, Mitch throws a dime to Taylor Gabriel on that 36-yarder that they had to replay in order to say it was a touchdown. David Montgomery gets running a little bit towards the end of the game. The defense, uh, you know, picks six and like four or five turnovers in that one, but they also almost let Washington back in the game there uh, at the end. And then the first, like, really good, like, I felt great about this victory was week four against Minnesota to close out that first quarter. We dominate the Vikings, and it was kind of an inverse of week four of last year where we kind of uh, the first four games of the season, we, you know, we lost that opener to Green Bay, and then the following three games after it, we, we won a, a, each game in a different way. And then the, the, the big showcase, the offensive display that Mitch and the offense put on on the Buccaneers, Flip that to this year, it was the defense that was all about shutting down the number one rushing attack in the NFL. And then on top of that, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen were non-factors. We, they came away from that game saying that we broke Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. That was kind of like, that was the signature win of the first quarter and the, really the first time that we felt like, okay, I think we're going to be okay here. And that was really an excellent example of just this Bears depth stepping up really for the first time that season where I mean that was the game where the defensive line was a lot of backups it was Nick Williams it was uh, Abdullah Anderson it was Jonathan Harris it was Roy Robertson Harris and Bilal Nichols playing well as well but I mean it was all these different guys kind of stepping up and filling in and and putting their stamp on their not only their performance and but their their part of the season but their dedication to this team and and similarly on offense you know that was Chase Daniel stepping in for Mitchell Trubisky and it's a lot to the depth that this Bears team has acquired and depth that would go on to play some pretty significant snaps. I mean, even Nick Kwiatkowski later in the season when, when that because that was the game Roquan Smith was out with his personal issue. Right. So Kwiatkowski played really well against the Vikings. It was a lot of these guys that ended up having to play bigger roles as the season went on and being able to sort of showcase that in week four to make you feel more comfortable when they had to get back on the field later on. Right, and and like I said, we came away actually feeling good about a victory uh, for a change. It was our third win in a row, 3-1 and one after the first quarter of the season, same as we were uh, the year before. Don't feel as good at the end of four weeks as we did the year before, but we're right where we were, so we'll be fine. You know, we had our hiccup week one, but we came back, we persevered, we won, we won these football games, and we head into the second quarter, that basically that's where the season came off the rails absolutely came off the rails the loss against oakland in in uh in london uh after the bye week we absolutely get smoked on our own field uh against the the saints like don't let the 36 25 final score fool you it was nowhere near that close then the the, the offensive disaster that was the Chargers game, uh, never mind Eddie Pinero missing the field goal at the end that could have won it. How about the five red zone trips where he only walked away with one touchdown? And then the Philadelphia game, nine yards of offense in the first half. And then the second half surge at the end wasn't enough. Capped off by Adam Shaheen, like you so eloquently say, falling on the sword for Mitch Trubisky there at the end by letting Philadelphia record the squib or recover the squib kick that basically 
ended the game and basically put an end to a disastrous second quarter. We were three and one. Now we're three. And, now we're three and five heading into the midseason break. And what was interesting about that to me was that when we looked at the schedule before the season, you could pretty well tell, you know, first quarter of the season is going to be the easier one. Broncos weren't supposed to be very good. Washington, not supposed to be very good. And in there, Oakland was also not supposed to be very good. And then you knew that next stretch after the bye week was really going to be the hard part with the Saints and the Chargers and the Eagles all sort of being in that playoff conversation. And once we got closer to those games, obviously the Chargers and Eagles weren't quite as good as we had anticipated on paper. But like we knew the easy part was going to come first and the Bears won three of their first four. And we knew the hard part was going to come after. And yet it still felt like, and maybe the pivotal point was that Raiders game in particular, because that was the game that felt like was supposed to be one of the easy ones, one of the ones that the Bears were supposed to win. And that was when things really started getting particularly screwy with Khalil Mack disappearing and with you know everything seeming the offensive line really having its biggest problems at that point and the defense forgetting how to stop the run and, and all these different things that where where expectations from the season were really being thrown in our face and really challenged directly was that Raiders game and then of course you'd kind of expect things to fall apart against the Saints and then sort of after all of that failure it just sort of rolled into the Chargers and the Eagles and it, it left this team so far behind like it was like that it, for me it, it felt more like that Raiders game and everything that happened in London was almost too much for them to recover from. Like they didn't know what hit them. They didn't know what exactly was going wrong and whatever was happening with these players, they were still jet lagged or, or I don't know what it was, but it just seemed like the Bears season was kind of left in London and, and didn't come back for, for another couple months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause we had the bye week after the loss. So we had two weeks to stew over what happened. Uh, in in London, the the you know, and and despite it all, we probably should have won that game. And the way that it was played, and as poorly as we played, it's like the first time in a long time that the defense looked human with the way that Jacobs, Josh Jacobs, ran the football on with ease. Huge gaping holes he was just running through. You know, had gave up. We gave up more yardage to him in the first half of the season than we were giving up all season the year before. I mean, it just made it look like uh, like it was you know pedestrian what uh, what we were doing on defense and uh, and everything. And then, despite it all, that explosive third quarter that we have, only to let it all fall apart um, with uh, with a, a, a running into the kicker uh, penalty that that opened the door for the Raiders to go 97 yards and score the game winning uh, touchdown. You know, that's that's a game that the Bears should have had. Then fast forward a couple of weeks to the Chargers game. As I said before, four four five red zone trips were leading nine to seven uh, at halftime, and we were lucky to be doing that. Uh, we come out, we run the football, power football down San Diego's throat in the start the third quarter. Don't go back to the run game for the rest of the for the rest of the football game, and it ends up killing us. And then don't even get me started on Philadelphia. I mean, that game was just an unmitigated uh, disaster. So, I mean, it's just what a painful second quarter uh, it was. And it just seemed like the you're right, like we never really recovered from losing that game to uh, Oakland, even though we had two weeks to figure out what went wrong. Uh, Matt Nagy said famously at the end of the Oakland game, we're going to come out running the football. We ran it seven times in an entire football game on Walter Payton Appreciation Day of all days. Uh, against the Saints I mean it was just the second quarter is where things started to get embarrassing it was just so almost like inexplicable like it was yeah. 
Packers at times. You went from, like you said, the Saints game not – well, even you date back. So you, you shut down Dalvin Cook against the Vikings, and yes. then Josh Jacobs runs all over you the very next week yeah. inexplicably. And then you come out against the Chargers, and you run the ball seven times and throw 54 against the Saints, and then you come out against the Chargers, and David Montgomery goes 27 for 135 on the ground and a touchdown. And then against the Eagles, you get nothing on offense in the whole first half. It's like it's not like it's just necessarily all one thing. So there were some common threads between them, but it wasn't just like four weeks in a row. Mitchell Trubisky threw four interceptions, and the Bears lost because they keep turning the ball over. You know, it's right. not. It wasn't just like fix this one thing and everything would be fine. But it was like first the running game doesn't work here, then we can't stop the run, then we can't throw, then we can't do this, and it's like. It was almost never exactly the same mix. It was something new that worked the week before, no longer works now, and the thing that didn't work last week now works now. And it just, I, I mean, I can only imagine what Matt Nagy and his coaching staff were trying to sit there pulling their hair out. That's why Nagy doesn't have much on top of his head because he right. can't figure out what's going on. Well, I mean, it's there's there's that analogy, the whole like sticking your finger to plug the to plug up the dam, and then when you plug that one, another leak comes, and so on. And that's basically how the season appeared to go because like you said uh and and i talked about it on on the show many times about how we had this jekyll and hyde thing with the offensive line uh going on we absolutely could not block the smith brothers against green bay but the following week bradley chubb and uh, von miller complete non-factors uh in the football game uh week three against washington Ryan Kerrigan and some guys whose name I have no idea bum rush the Bears. They're all over the place. They're in Mitch's face. He's under constant pressure. Fast forward a week later, Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin, barely hear their names because our offensive line shut them down. Uh, and, you know, it just this week it was we you know and like you said, fifty four passes, seven runs against the Saints. Then we're running like like an old school eighties team uh, the following week against the the Chargers. And I think Olin Krutz said it best when I had him. Uh, on the show after that Chargers game or after the Philly game. I had him on between uh, the Philly and Detroit game, and I asked him, I was like, if you could point, look at anything, you watch the film, you analyze things, what do you what do you think is, has gone wrong? And he just flat out said, nobody's playing well. Like, just a blanket, nobody is playing better than they did the year before. Nobody's playing good football. And I guess that's why we can have success this week doing this thing and then can't do it the week after, but we have success doing something else. I mean, that was probably the most maddening thing. It just wasn't one thing that we weren't good at. It's like we picked different days to be good and bad at so many other things. And I think that's what really spurred the the sharp contrast sort of. There was the two sides for much of the season, right? Do you blame Matt Nagy? Do you blame Mitchell Trubisky? And I think that's a big reason why people point to Matt Nagy as being a a big source of blame for this season was not just, well, Nagy should help Mitchell Trubisky be better and, and the offense should be better, but when you look at players consistently across the board not playing up to the level of talent that you would expect of them, you kind of have to point to coaching. When, when you've seen guys play at a higher level before and they're currently not playing at that same high level, and it's not just one or two guys, but it's like almost the entire offensive line, all your receivers not named Allen Robinson, your your tight ends, you know, a lot of guys on defense, your secondary not making as many plays as the year before. I mean, so many different things. When, when players aren't playing as well as they should be, you always look at coaching, and, and at some point, you know, that goes to Matt Nagy, that goes to everybody on the coaching staff not doing their jobs in addition to the players themselves not doing their jobs. And it was like a pretty perfect storm of 
things going wrong, which made it all the more strange, I think, when things kind of turned around yes. mid-seat. Like, they didn't have a bye week after that Eagles lost right. to say, okay, Lions are next week, let's let's get our stuff together here. But all of a sudden, they just it just sort of clicked, and we don't really have a sense of, like, did they do something different? Did they have a big meeting and sit down and say, hey, let's get our stuff together? Or did they just keep, you know, trusting their process and it all of a sudden started working. It was really an inexplicable turnaround unless, and the only explanation I can think of is just sort of the, the quality of opponent that yeah. you know, Detroit was maybe the easiest team they had played since Washington and New York wasn't all that great either. But I, other than that, that doesn't seem like the quite a satisfying answer. But even in those games, the first Detroit game, the Giants game, uh, we sandwiched the the Rams game, which was another disaster. I mean, uh, you know, with the and the cherry on top being Mitch being benched with three and a half minutes to go in the game when we're only down, uh, you know, a touchdown or whatever it was, uh, whatever the deficit was at the point that he got uh, benched uh, and everything. And then not everybody wanted to believe that it was a hip injury, but if you go back and look in the fi- at the film, you can kind of see what Mitch was talking about and how he was, uh, you know, his mechanics and, and whatnot in the second half. So I think it was uh, legit. Still not crazy about the timing. There's three minutes. Just let him finish the freaking game, for Christ's sake. And But it's like, you know, like you said, the quality of opponent, the Lions, the Giants, even in those two wins, those were two more wins where it's like, yeah, we won, but both times, both times we go into the fourth quarter with a comfortable lead and in both games, we had to hang on basically until the final play against those teams because the defense gave up a fourth quarter touchdown that all of a sudden made it a ball game when it seemed like a foregone conclusion at the start of the fourth quarter. And again, it's that weird mix of like the, the Bears offense completely disappeared against the Eagles and then it's back for Lions, Giants and Lions. But then the defense is not as back, you know, right. once they figure, they, like you said, they plug one hole and another one starts opening up. And not that the Bears' defense was terrible. I mean, you're not looking at 20, 30 point, you know, outings from the defense, but just not, not quite that same sharp Bears' defense that we had maybe taken for granted and and certainly come to expect in every game. But along the same ways, I mean, not a lot of running success. And that was that was one of those weird games where they allowed all that rushing yards to Bo Scarborough and. David Blau was being able to throw all over them for for certain portions and randomly like Anthony Miller started playing really well after being pretty quiet for the majority of the season and Allen Robinson started to calm down a little bit. It's just this whole season, man. (laughs) I I don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one that, uh, you know, any any true football analyst want to sit there and try to, you know, pinpoint this season, you'll drive yourself crazy until the end of time uh, trying to, to figure it out because it's just. Uh, you know, to use the analogy again, you, you, you've one hole in, in one finger in this hole, another one pops. I mean, that's literally how the season went year in and year out. It's like we talk about the quarters of the season, the first quarter, kind of crazy. But we finished three and one, so we're okay, we're fine where we're, 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 we're a year ago. Second quarter, oh for October. We don't win a game in the month of October, uh, and we look like each loss was worse than the one before it. Uh, uh, kind of thing and, and and we were embarrassed at home against the, the New Orleans Saints and then a week later we embarrassed ourselves uh, against the Chargers and then just for an encore to finish off the month of October we go on the road to Philadelphia and we have fewer yards than you and I have fingers on our hands by halftime 
I mean, that's how bad that first half was. Then we come back in the third quarter, and yeah, our quality of opponent goes down, and we look like a decent football team uh, again. We, we choke on national TV against the Rams, which was unfortunate, and really kind of the beginning of the end, that, that loss to the, to the Rams there. But after three quarters, we're 6-6, six and six, and we have a shot at possibly redeeming the season going into the fourth quarter. But going into that fourth quarter, we've got our, our and on paper the four toughest opponents that you could possibly have. The Dallas Cowboys, who at the time were in first place in the NFC East, our division-leading NFC North uh, Green Bay Packers at Lambeau, home for the Kansas City Chiefs, and then on the road in Minnesota where we historically do not play well and do not win. And we had to win all four in order to make it happen. And after that Thursday night game against the Cowboys, where Mitch Trubisky had his best game of the season, the defense kind of showed up for the majority of the game. I mean, where we're talking about saying, like, don't look at the Saints game and think the game ended up being that close. 36-25, don't let that fool you. Don't let the 31-24 final score for the Bears. They beat the, the Cowboys much more handily than the final score would have you believe. And it was that, like, that confidence that we had seemingly lost. Yes. Yes. Was back. It was like, because after after the Eagles loss, when because the Eagles loss felt, I don't want to say closer. To, I don't know what the closest to rock bottom was for this season, but I'd, I'd say that was probably right around there with just the, the lack of anything offensive in that game, especially feeling like an Eagles team that was much, much more beatable. And it was a rematch of the, the playoff game from the year before. But it was like all of a sudden at, at seven and six after that Cowboys game, you had won four out of your last five. And it was like, maybe just maybe this team can do something because there was a point in that season where most of us were writing off playoffs even even long before they were limited it was like well they're three and five they can't even score 10 yards in the first half this team is not going to make the playoffs and then five weeks later it's like oh well maybe you know maybe. We're, we're not out of this after all and of course it was going to be a tough road with green bay and kansas city and minnesota so there was, i mean we were at least at that point more realistic about it than we were maybe in week one but it it it's just it's just remarkable how quickly th- there was those flips of momentum like first four games was three and one then zero oh and four then then four and one in the next five games it was just like back forth back forth and then green bay happens and green bay happened i mean how yeah. else can you describe it green bay happens twice a year and it seems like it always sort of happens in in those same ways where it's just for whatever reason aaron Rodgers can do Aaron Rodgers things at, at times when he needs to, even when he's more vulnerable this year than any year in years past. And even when the bears get two receivers over a hundred yards and, you know, Mitchell Trubisky really being able to still create some big offense. It's just not there for whatever reason, you can't play green Bay and come away with anything that you feel really good about with this bears team. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, and that's where the season ended officially. We lost that game. Minnesota beat, uh, I was going to say San Diego, beat the Chargers, and we were officially eliminated uh, at that point because we were three games behind Minnesota with two games left to play. And so that was the end of it uh, right there. And, you know, like you said, that Dallas game, you started to see a little bit of the swag, uh, that we were we 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 were running the football. David Montgomery's breaking tackles and doing things. I mean, we finally finally Lauren executed that that goddamn 
uh, you know, that run by passing thing that Nagy was doing where he would throw that that quick screen off to the side and then 99 times out of 100 nobody blocks and we get nothing out of it Anthony Miller scores a touchdown uh, on that play you know because the two receivers in front of him actually get their man and boom he's in the end zone before he gets touched uh, kind of thing it just felt like like we had turned a corner against the Cowboys and apparently we turned that corner ran smack into a brick wall the following, I mean, 10 days later against the Green Bay Packers uh, in Lambeau. Because, again, we can't finish. Uh, we can't, we're can't. we settling for field goals instead of touchdowns. We did get screwed on that Cordell Patterson penalty that gave Green Bay their first touchdown. So we're not getting any of the breaks, and we're also not helping ourselves uh, either. Uh, and that was just kind of like, you know, that's how the season went. You know, we made mistakes, and then also didn't help ourselves at all at the same time. And that's what made those, those these last 17 weeks so maddening to live through. Well, the Bears just couldn't beat good teams. They, yeah. they beat, the only playoff team they beat this year was the Vikings twice. And the second one, you know, the Vikings Ugh. weren't trying that hard. So I, yeah. I, I the, take a lot of credit in that one. And then week week four is, is like their one good win this season for the Bears. Yeah. I mean, they beat a Vikings team pretty well straight up as they deserved it and, and beat a playoff team and everything else. It's like they, they could beat up on the lions. They can beat up on the giants, even the Cowboys. I mean, teams that are some teams that are firing their coaches are going through their coaching staffs or teams that are pretty brand new to their staffs, like the Broncos and, and Washington. I mean, those, the bears can beat those bad teams, but anytime they played like a legitimate contender that made the playoffs, you know, Packers, saints, Eagles, Rams in, and chiefs, it was it was clear that the Bears were just weren't in that class this season, and I think that's that brings me back to like some of the the, the Matt Nagy concerns with this coaching staff and with where this roster is. Like that that's where people felt like if the Bears clearly aren't at the same level as the rest of the teams that are really good, and maybe they're not at the same level as all of the teams that are really bad, but that's what leaves you at eight and eight, perfectly in the middle. Yeah, yeah, and we were I think we we're like one of only two teams that finished. Eight and eight. I think two or three at the most uh, finished with an eight and eight record. We had an unprecedented like five teams that won thirteen or more games uh, this year. It was a very top heavy, top heavy league. Uh, I mean, to the point where a thirteen and three Saints team had to host a wild card game this past weekend. They ended up losing uh, to the to the Vikings. What a crazy finish that was. So, you know, but just real quick. I mean, I don't want to talk at all about this Chiefs game. That was just. That was it. That was, I mean, that's, yeah, they absolutely did. They absolutely did. So it's like, I don't want to talk about that one at all. I cursed the NFL for not flexing that one to noon and putting something more interesting uh, in its place. The country did not have to, did not need to see that. But, uh, you know, you fast forward to the final game of the season. Um, it's set up perfectly for us. The, the Vikings are putting their JV squad out on the field because they're keeping everyone healthy for the wild card round their fate is sealed they're six no matter what so you know they're showing up to play but nobody who's anybody is playing in this football game and lauren we almost lost that game and we struggled to win uh at the end and i think that kind of said everything like you said about this team anybody who was any any kind of decent football team had it over had us over a barrel you know for the 60 minutes but I, I just like I just couldn't. It was another one of those games where you walk. Yeah, we won, but uh, after that week seventeen win over the Vikings, 
Yeah, do you know what Sean Mannion's passer rating was in that game? 35. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the Bears barely held barely, on. Mike, barely. Mike Boone rushed for 148 yards on 17 carries and had a couple of breakaway runs. And, of course, the Bears offense, you know, struggled to kind of keep a, a consistent passing game going against uh, a Vikings defense that was starting, you know, Armand Watts and Chris Boyd and players that – neither one of us have really heard of before that game. And, you know what I mean? And they still were able to, that backup Vikings defense was able to sack Mitchell Trubisky four times and force a couple of fumbles and, and really get after the quarterback and just make life difficult for this Bears offense. It's going up against backups, on a playoff team's backups, but backups nonetheless. And it felt like, it really did feel like a preseason game, except that the Bears were playing all their starters and still it was it was <laughs> Matt Nagy didn't play any starters during the preseason, but he played the starters during their last week 17 preseason game. And it still felt like a similar result. Yes. Yeah. Uh, meaningless and disappointing nonetheless. And, uh, you know, again, the the San Diego, I was going to say, God damn, the Chargers need to move back to San Diego so I can stop making a mistake every time I talk about them. Um, but the Minnesota game felt very much like the Chargers game all over again in the first half. Well, you know, we're taking advantage of mistakes. We're 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 moving in between the twenties with ease for the most part, but closing the deal, settling for field goals instead of touchdowns, which allowed Minnesota to get itself back in the game with one score, and then we're fighting tooth and nail to try to win a game against the JV squad uh, of the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, did any of those guys play against the Saints this past Sunday? I doubt any of them did, and. Uh, you know, at least this time Pinero made the game winner, uh, but it was like from 26 instead of 43 uh, this time, so he really didn't have a choice. And and good old Mitch, he got that that drive and and made that clutch throw to to, to Riley Ridley on fourth and nine for 32 yards, set up the game-winning field goal. It's like great, and we win the game and hooray, we're eight and eight. So it's a it's not a losing season, at least, is kind of like what we walk away with. The whole kissing your sister, it's a tie uh, uh, deal. You know, it, we, It's not a losing season, but it's not a winning season either. So Matt Nagy has zero losing seasons as head coach of the Bears thus far. And it's tough, right, because it, it, I mean, it wasn't a losing season. And it wasn't a I – mean, as much as it felt like a catastrophe, it, it wasn't nearly as catastrophic as it maybe could have been, right? Sure. I mean, Sure. They were, you know, expectations was what made this season feel so bad. Like, like you and I have talked about, where you would have taken an eight and eight year under John Fox, we would have been thrilled to, to finish eight and eight. And you know, two two seasons from Matt Nagy yields what twenty wins in two seasons averages out to ten a year. And you're like, okay, that's pretty good. It's like in in isolation, right? Or you know, I guess not in isolation. In, in the grander scheme of things, the eight and eight season shouldn't feel as bad as it did but really in the context of everything that surrounded it it was just it, it, i mean it was every, it was disappointing in in seemingly every single way i mean just the defense at times failed i mean just everything that you thought you knew about this bears team for the most part just was thrown out the window yes and that was the thing i mean the things that we got lucky with uh last year um we were way down in penalties because, like, we were a penalty machine uh, in in 2017 under Fox. Uh, injuries, we were an injury machine uh, as well uh, under Fox. We we avoided all of that in 2018, and we saw like maybe this team was talented all along, but we could never catch a break with the penalties. Couldn't catch a break with 
with the health and look at these guys are healthy and they're not getting the penalties and we're having a lot more success and we're winning football games then it kind of went back now we didn't suffer a ton of injuries like we did under fox where we're literally pulling guys off the street to start for us uh on sunday but we did get hit with some big ones like akeem hicks we lost roquan we lost danny trevathan uh Sherrick mcmanus went down he's always been an important player uh for us kyle long unfortunately had a disaster of a season uh you know as mightily as he struggled uh with his injuries and and, and trying to play through him again and the bears just like actually we're not going to do this again so we're just going to go ahead and shut you down uh, uh kind of thing and then it's like all of a sudden the penalties uh, charles leno was a false start machine and now he's holding constantly uh and 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 everything else i mean it was just Everything that, that could have gone right for us in 2018 did, and then inversely it went the opposite way in 2019, and all of a sudden the Bears were human again. And that's sort of uh, a, a, like a, scary, a scary feeling, right? You, you, the Bears felt so invincible. like It felt like the team had figured it out. The team had its head coach, its, its bright young innovator, it had its general manager it had its quarterback it had its weapons it had a new running back i mean it, it felt like the bears had all the pieces and then when you feel like you have the pieces and then you, you turns out you don't you're sort of like you're left like wait wait a minute well what, what is everything we think wrong you know i mean what what is true about this bears team anymore like it's like we didn't go into 2019 thinking like, oh, man, the Bears have this flaw, and if teams are able to really expose that flaw, this team is going to be screwed. Like, everything was everything was there. All, all the pieces were there, and now you're done with the season, and you still have all those same pieces, and it, it didn't go how you thought it would with those pieces, and now you're like, well, do I do I keep the same piece and, and try and do it again, or how much do I change? What what do I trust to, to get better, and what What's gonna? What what needs to change? I mean, it's it's kind of a confusing place to be in right now for this team because you you have a lot of guys locked in and guys that have played well before that didn't play very well this past season and you don't know always which guy you're gonna get. Yeah, I mean, and and that's the thing. It's just that I think the most disappointing thing about our defense this year wasn't Khalil Mack; it was the lack of help that Khalil got. To you know, it just it just didn't. It was not there. I mean, obviously, every every offense that we face is going to key on Khalil Mack and try to figure out a way to stop him. That's the beauty of having a guy like that, is that you know that they're going to focus a majority of their attention on how to stop and or slow and or stop this guy, which means that opens up the door for other people to step up. The Eddie Goldmans, the Akeem Hicks, the Leonard Floyds, uh, and, and what have you, and that just did not happen this year i mean nobody else nobody gave opposing offenses a reason not to double and triple team khalil mack and completely take him out of the game and despite it all he still had like nine sacks it was like second in the league and in strip sacks and forced fumbles and and things like that and yet he walks away feeling unworthy of the pro bowl nod that he got this year yeah and it's a good point that i mean as much as we want to push a lot of that blame on to Khalil Mack because he didn't have as many sacks and maybe wasn't exactly as dominant, which maybe it was a little bit too, uh, too, you couldn't expect him to be, you know, six forced fumble kind of guy every single season. But, but still you write that you look at some of the guys around him and the lack of production there. I mean, of course 
you, know, you look last season in 2018, Akeem Hicks had seven and a half sacks. Roquan Smith had five. Floyd had three. And then Goldman Nichols and Roy Robertson Harris and Aaron Lynch all had three each. But then you fast forward to 2019 and it's like once you get past Khalil Max eight and a half, you have Nick Williams with six and that's great. And then your only other two guys with three or more sacks were Kwiatkowski and Floyd. And you just didn't have that sort of variety of production. It wasn't coming from a lot of different places. You weren't able to, you know, Ray Robertson Harris couldn't hit three again. Roquan Smith couldn't hit three again. Aaron Lynch couldn't hit three again. And Eddie, Eddie Goldman, you know, you were, you just weren't getting, no one else was able to keep their pass rush up at the same level either. So even if, yes, you wanted more from Khalil Mack, but you needed more from absolutely everybody else. And, and Nick Williams, I thought was the only one who really stepped it up. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, he, he did a fantastic job um this year but it's just like you know there's only so much you can ask of Khalil Mack with the attention that he's getting that means somebody else isn't getting that same attention which means they're one-on-one which means they just have to be better than the guy across from them in order to make some kind of impact and maybe get the offense thinking like maybe we should pay a little more attention to big Nick over here and and uh you know maybe we can let Khalil Mack go one-on-one with our tackle uh, every now and again but instead that just didn't happen for the most part I mean I think the last team to try that was the Cowboys and they paid for it but uh, with Dak Prescott getting uh, you know sacked and whatnot by uh, by Mack and everything but for the most part it was like starting from like the Raiders game pretty much throughout the rest of the season Khalil Mack was a race now granted that's also highlighted by the fact that we didn't have Akeem Hicks for almost all of that period and I know that hurt uh, that hurt him dearly uh, just talking about Khalil Mack and his production, not having Akeem Hicks either by his side or taking the attention uh, away. But like I said, it's it's next man up. That's what this game is all about, and that just didn't happen. Uh, you know, Leonard Floyd, like you said, he had three sacks this year. He had two of them week one against Green Bay. Didn't get that third one until, what, week 14 or something uh, like that? And it was uh, – I don't even think that one was even a legit sack, was it, that last one that he got? It was week nine against the Eagles. Oh, dear God. He had one in the entire second half of the season. His final eight games were sackless. Yeah. Yeah. And but we you- walked in that press conference at the end. We're very happy with Leonard Floyd. How? <laughs> How? I mean, you, you picked up his fifth-year option. He's going to make $13 million next year. He doesn't deserve it. And we're happy with him somehow. He's making, like, more than a half a million dollars per career sack in, <laughs> under his belt. But, you know, he, he has been better against the run and yes, coverage. Yes, absolutely. But, but that's, that's not what we not, drafted him for. And that's not worth, you know, $13, 14000000 million. No, definitely. Definitely not. Um, so, I mean, and, and I saw someone uh, posting online. It was either Facebook or, or, or Twitter uh, kind of doing a side-by-side comparison of the defense and their statistics like last year we had 27 interceptions this year i think we had maybe nine or ten whatever it ended up being after the vikings game uh we had this many sacks like 50 something sacks last year we barely had 30 uh this year we allowed uh this many yards per play last year but it was way more this year and everything like that i was like yeah the defense statistics were not as good as they were a year ago however we still finished fourth in the league in points allowed, um, and we were the only team, the only defense in the top five that didn't make it to the playoffs. And we finished eighth overall in defense, if I'm not mistaken. And we still had a top ten 
defense. And it felt like the like remember back in twenty thirteen, Tressman's first year, we had like the best offense we've ever had ever, and Mel Tucker's defense was the worst one statistically that the Bears have ever had imagine what that team could have done with a middle of the road defense imagine what this team could have done this year if our offense was 15th in the league or 16th in the league overall as opposed to 29th and 30th like it finished out this year you could almost like go through a handful of games on the schedule and be like it probably would be green bay with a, with, a, with an average offense probably would be the chargers with an average offense Eagles, you know, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say when, when it's a little bit of a bigger deficit. Rams, you know, maybe, and Packers the second time, maybe. I mean, you know, you're not you're not going, you know, 13-3 and three necessarily, but you're certainly a playoff team with an average offense on that team. It's, I mean, it's just, it was, it, was, it was embarrassing. I mean, especially for a team that prides itself on, you know, having this head coach that comes from the Andy Reid. I mean, all the different things that go in with Matt Nagy, it really just... It, it, it's, it's a little bit ridiculous almost. Well, yeah, I mean, and then it was just like the, the point that I was trying to make there with the defense was that we didn't have the same offense that we had last year. I mean, we weren't breaking the scoreboard a year ago. But we were a hell of a lot more competent on offense, uh, you know, last year. We were, at, we were pretty good at hanging on to the football. We were, we were pretty good at, at at least putting a few plays together instead of, you know, three embarrassing plays and then we're punting and our defense that's barely had a chance to sip Gatorade is getting back out on the field again. It's like I think our defense production suffered because our offense was so much worse than it was a year ago. And these guys are playing a lot more snaps. They're wearing down in the fourth quarter. Like you heard me, you know, belly aching a few minutes ago about that those Lions and Giants games were in the fourth quarter. We've got a two-score lead, and we're coasting here. And then all of a sudden, the defense gives up a fourth-quarter touchdown, and we got a ball game that goes down to, like, a Hail Mary and a fourth-quarter play with less than a minute to go before it's finally said and done. I mean, th- th- our defense was not good because our offense was worse. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's it's it's a good point. I mean, how connected everything has been for this team. And even within the defense, the the secondary wasn't as good because the pass rush wasn't was worse, and because the pass rush was worse and the secondary wasn't was worse, the offense had more difficult situations that it had to climb back from. And, and yeah. Mitchell Trubisky had more pressure on his shoulders to have to carry the team in some of those regards. And the running game wasn't as good be, because they weren't able to run it as much because they were down on the scoreboard more, so they had to throw more. I mean, it's just it's it's interesting how connected that all is, and it all kind of starts. In, in a few spots, and then it expands to the bigger issues that the whole team was facing all season. Yeah, I mean, if if you go back and you look at last year, uh, the way that we were able to get after the passer, and I know that Vic Fangio wasn't a big guy with blitzing. He really wanted to do it with just four uh, and everything to get to the quarterback so he could put his, his you know secondary in coverage and then try to make plays there uh, and whatnot. But we were it just seemed like we were a lot more aggressive on defense because we were playing with a lead. We were protecting uh, a lead so we could afford to take a take a chance every now and then where it just seemed like this year Pagano wasn't allowed to do that because he was constantly playing from behind trying to make something happen so we could get the ball back to our offense so they could just hand it back uh, to the t- to the to the to their to our opposing offense again and put our defense back out on the field. And on top of that, Pagano not only playing from behind, and but he he's also still learning all the players on his team and the guys that he would learn the most about 
then get hurt and you you know you're sort of having to put backups in there and I, I'm sure he knew a lot less about you know the Kevin Pierre Lewis's of his team than the Danny Trevathan's of his team as far as how much tape you're watching of those guys and how much time you're spending with them on the field and so not only is he trying to figure out how to best you know get something going when his guys are playing poorly but then you're constantly sort sort of throwing new names in there and getting different guys in the rotation and trying to figure out how to best utilize everybody's skill set so you're not leaving anybody really hanging there like if you're gonna go all out on the blitz you know you have to be able to trust that your back end is going to be able to hold up but if you're having to use eddie jackson a little bit more as a an in the box and strong safety type and maybe you don't have as much faith in buster screen in the slot having some vulnerability at times or you know there's there's all the all these sort of different factors that pagano's like trying to weigh of if if my if my blitz isn't going to get home um, are my guys going to be okay but if i don't blitz you know we're not going to be able to pressure the quarterback and my secondary is going to have to hang out there anyway so what there's not a an obvious solution that he was faced with for most of this season. And it's, I mean, that's, that's why they get paid the big bucks, but it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that was two things that, um, that Vic Fangio didn't really have to, that's two things he did not have to deal with last year. He didn't have to deal with uh, a lot of injuries uh, last season, almost none to be completely honest. And uh, he also didn't have as weak of an offense uh, last season. Uh, you know, the, they were in a much better position. They were always playing with the lead. I mean, 11 times, Lauren, 11 times in 16 games we didn't score a touchdown in the first half this year. I mean, that is unthinkable. Uh, I mean, and, and when you when you pull out a stat like that, it's a miracle we were 8-8 eight eight, uh, this year. When You know, we can, they can, as they say, you can make the stats say anything. Well, 11 non-scoring, you know, and 11 halves of football with no touchdowns, says that eight wins was a miracle in my opinion you know when you look at it look at from from that singular stat when you go an entire half of football and score no touchdowns for 11 out of 16 games it's amazing you won any games let alone uh eight of them and that brings up a good point that i I hadn't really realized or, or noticed from last year to this year that it seemed like in 2018 the bears were really good i mean they had plenty of offensive struggles but they were good in the opening play of the drive on their scripted yes. plays, yeah. and then so in the two-minute drills at the end of the half. And they were able to do a little bit better in the two-minute drills again this season, but that scripted drive offensive success at the beginning of games was completely gone. And I'd, I'd love to go back and look at how many games started with a three and out on the opening drive because it was, seemed like it was pretty darn close to all of them. You know, you all you have to do is find Kevin Fishbane's Twitter feed because ah. he updated it week after week what the opening drive looked like for the Bears. Week after week, he said, you know, three plays, six yards, punt. Five plays, nine yards, punt. It, he updated it every single week because, like you said, it was the theme. If you, I mean, we can off the top of my head, last year, opening drive against Green Bay, touchdown. Opening drive week two against the Seahawks, touchdown. Um, I don't think we did, like, week. who was week three last year? Uh, Cardinals. Cardinals. No touchdown there. But week four, uh, Tampa Bay, we scored the first five possessions. So easy peasy on that one. I don't. We did not score the opening drive against Miami. Uh, did we against the Patriots? That's too far back for me now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I'm saying you see it. It's just that the success was there early on. I mean, how many games last year did we score not one but multiple touchdowns in the first half? 
you know, protecting the lead. I think that we didn't at one point, didn't we have the lead at every game at halftime or something last year or six out of seven games or seven out of eight or, or anything like that. Whereas like this year, almost three quarters of the games that we played, we didn't score a touchdown but before the half I mean it was just night and day as far as what the offense was able to accomplish a year ago versus what they struggled to do this year and we're still left sort of looking for an explanation I mean you know it's yes. not it's it's not purely Mitch Trubisky it's not purely Matt Nagy it's not purely the offensive line it's not purely the running game it's 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 it just seems like it's a little bit of everything and I don't know how you fix a little bit of everything going wrong yeah I mean, that's where the the truly amazing job uh, or daunting, whatever word you want to use, for Ryan Pace and Nagy and the Brain Trust go into this season, uh, this off season. What do you repair? What do you fix? What do you do? You know, who do you cut bait with, and just let go? I'm looking at a list right now of the free agents, unrestricted. So these guys that are no longer under contract uh, with us. How many of these guys do we bring back? Danny Trevathan. We could probably do an entire podcast talking about the virtues of bringing him back and letting him go. Chase Daniel. I think his time with us may be done. Uh, Haha, Clinton Dix. I don't know that we can afford to bring him back, especially after we just paid uh, Eddie this week. Sherrick McManus. I'd love to bring him back. That guy just belongs in Chicago. Aaron Lynch. Goodbye. We're done. Uh, with him, uh, Bradley Soul. <laughs> I feel bad. For He's Bradley been Soul. so many times this. Oh season. my God! It's just it was a it was a joke at one point, wasn't it? Like seven or eight weeks in a row that he was on the team. He was re-signed on Monday, cut on Saturday. And like was it was like that's like I guess this is how you put a veteran who's not practice squad eligible on the practice squad because that's literally all he was on the team to do he was re-signed on monday cut again on saturday to make room for someone on the practice squad to be on the roster only to have that person cut and added back to the practice squad so bradley soul could have his roster spot back it was just a crazy carousel that they were running there yeah i'd like to see them re-sign him and release him a couple times this offseason just (laughs) kind of stay in game shape in season ready for him right but i mean he makes the switch to tight end and it was a pointless move uh, like I don't think that anything that they had planned, I mean the tight end position was a disaster uh, for the Bears. Not one, no one had a hundred yards receiving for the season in the tight end position. The only guy that came close of all people was uh, was JP Holtz, and it's just <sighs> he got the majority of that on that screenplay against the Cowboys uh, in Week 14. I mean it's just. Unbelievable with the with the tight ends. Um, then we have with Ted Larson. I wouldn't mind bringing him back, especially now that Kyle Long is gone. Nick Williams, absolutely bring him back. Cornelius Lucas, I didn't want him on the team to begin with. Uh, Patrick Scales, long snapper, S, yes, bring him back. Kevin Pierre-Lewis, definitely I would like to see him come back. Um, it's tough because... Between Trevathan, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, and Nick Kwiatkowski, yeah, you know you already have, of course, Roquan Smith is going to be one of your inside linebacker starters. So only one of those guys can be your other linebacking starter next year. And Kevin Pierre-Lewis might be able to get a starting contract from another team with how well he played this year. Nick Kwiatkowski, same thing. And of course, Danny Trevathan, a, a veteran starter. So I, I don't know that you can afford to bring back 
more than one at a starting caliber salary, and all three are likely to get starting opportunities. So it's it's a, it's a really tough spot with with three quality players. But I think Matt Nagy said after the season, you, you want to have those tough decisions. It means you're you're in a good place from a personnel standpoint. Uh, and I agree with that uh, in theory. Um, but the reality is, who do you keep? Who do you try to bring back? I mean, and and hopefully this isn't like an Adrian Amos, Bryce Callahan situation where we thought it was going to be either or. We bring back one, let the other one go, and then we end up losing them both. I don't want to have that happen in this situation here where it comes down to a choice between here's the veteran, Trevathan, with all of his intangibles. He's a leader. The players love him. He loves it in Chicago, but he's got that injury history, and he's 30 years old, uh, so he's nearing he is entering the twilight of his career Nick Witkowski on the other hand has grown in his four years uh and and we we thought that well Kwiatkowski is uh you know destined to be a backup because he's not very good in coverage well I think you and your friends at Pro Football Focus would disagree with that after this season wouldn't you yeah he was much better in that regard and he's always going to have physical limitations I mean he's just he's not that fast but I think what I come back to with Nick Kwiatkowski is that there are very few linebackers in the NFL that I would say are really fast and good in coverage Roquan Smith is one of them but you know there, there's Roquan Smith there's you know maybe Van Der Esch from the Cowboys maybe Tremaine uh, Edmonds from the Buffalo Bills and sure. Quan Alexander maybe I mean you're talking like a handful of guys that are like really athletic and you know because people say well Nick Kwiatkowski is going to be a mismatch against running backs out of the backfield and there just aren't very many linebackers in the NFL that aren't a mismatch against running backs in the backfield so to me Kwiatkowski might be on the slower side but a lot of linebackers are going to be mismatches against some of those players anyway and I think he showed this season that between his instincts and and some I think better fluidity in his movements not necessarily speed but just a little bit quicker in being able to change directions that he can, I don't want to say keep up with running backs, but not get just totally lost and blown away that I think he can survive just fine in coverage and gives you enough uh, positives in run defense and certainly blitzing that he's, he's well worth the investment. Yeah. I mean, he's, he wasn't the liability and coverage that he was at the beginning of his career when he was forced into duty with injuries to guy like, you know, well to Trevathan, uh, during his rookie year, and then the following year when Jarrell Freeman uh, tore his pec week one against the Falcons. Now he's done for the year, so Kwiatkowski's our starting linebacker for the rest of the season uh, kind of thing. He was forced into duty early in his career, so his the, the you know it was obvious why he was a fourth-round pick trying to you know be a starting linebacker in, in the league kind of thing, but I think that you know, having played behind Trevathan and Roquan last year and uh, you know, having a chance to, to learn – under Fox or Fox, dear God, under uh, Fangio. Thank you, Fangio. I knew to start with an F. And Pagano, uh, this season, he's learned a lot more. Like you said, his instincts are better than they were uh, in his rookie season, which is what you were kind of hoping for when you develop a player like that. And I think he's earned his way into a starting spot. Did he do it with the Bears? I've, he definitely did it with somebody. Somebody's going to take a chance on him. I just, honestly, I hope it's us. Yeah, I think I, I saw people calling him future Green Bay Packers linebacker. Oh, jeez, it's kind of that shoot hole. me now if that happens. Just because I, you know, he's going to be our, a nightmare for us if and when. Just because that's the way the karma works in the NFL. If we let that guy go, and if we let him go to Green Bay, we'll pay for it 
for however long he's there. Yeah, and I mean teaming up with Adrian Amos, and you know the Packers have had an inside linebacker vacancy there. I guess the the one the one good thing about this inside linebacker position is just there's a strong possibility for some compensatory picks coming, yeah. depending on the type of contracts that these guys could sign elsewhere. And same with Haha Clinton Dix as well. So at least getting something back, but you got you got to pick one and invest in them. And I I, I would think. Uh, in terms of likelihood, I would guess Kevin Pierre Lewis is probably the least likely, just because you know you either you either want to bring back your veteran Danny Trevathan and let him keep riding it out with the team, or you want to reward Nick Kwiatkowski as one of your own draft picks and kind of showing his teammates that hey, we take care of our own in Chicago. And uh, Kevin Pierre Lewis, unfortunately, probably played the best of the three this season, but is still kind of more the outsider. Although he's still young, and I, I still wouldn't wouldn't put it past the Bears. Yeah, he's he's talented for sure. And uh, I don't envy, I don't envy the Bears if we have to play against him uh, someday. And uh, but you know we'll have to wait and see what happens um, with him. So I mean it's just the the list of guys that are free agents and not coming back. There there aren't many that I say we absolutely have to keep these guys. And you know, is there anybody out there in free agency that you're kind of uh you know like this is somebody we have to target somebody that we have to go after well it's tough because uh, of course i kind of want to start at the quarterback position depending on who's going to be available i mean there's so much there's a lot of moving parts that we don't know who's going to be there and so it's tough because like which quarterback are the new orleans saints going to have as their starter in 2020 is right it, is bridgewater available or is breeze somehow available is I mean, I'm, I'm sick of it already, but is Tom Brady potentially available an option? Is Phillip Rivers going to be an option? I mean, you know what I mean? There's, and But those are all really different, difficult dynamics with Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky and how willing are the Bears to do any of those things. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's messy. This is going to be like a messy free agency pool. But, I mean, if you can improve the quarterback position, you always want to. But then I want to see more pass rush and uh, some more depth and, and strength on that offensive line. But even... On the O line, four of your five starters are locked in under contract for at least the next couple seasons. Right, and I know you're going to go out and play, pay Brandon Scherf from Washington if they let him go. I mean, I don't know that it's smart to just dump a bunch of money into a guard just for the sake of dumping a bunch of money into guard. I mean, it's 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 a weird it, right now until we see which players are sort of resigned and which guys are are going to actually hit the market. It, it's a the Bears are in a weird spot with some needs but not a lot of cap space and not a lot of roster space either. But Maybe some enticing names, but it's 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 going to be a weird offseason, I think, following a weird 2019 season. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Like you and I talked about before, is like there's no easy answer for why things went wrong for the Bears. I mean, we could spend however many hours just talking about the offense and why that didn't work or why something worked week one uh, or nothing worked week one. What the hell am I talking about? Or, you know, worked week six or something like that, but didn't work week seven. And the opposite was true, you know, and, and things like that. The Bears did it over and over uh, where they, you know, all of a sudden it's it's Air Mitch and then the week after, uh, you know, he couldn't hit a, a, a duck in, in water, right? you know, kind of thing. It just it was kind of ridiculous the way that it just fluctuated the way it did. And there was no no explicable reason for why it was going that way, which means that, you know, what moves are the right ones to make in the off season, And, you know, how awesome Twitter is and sharing their opinions. And obviously everyone's got one and what needs to be done and, and, and all the rest of that stuff. And I, I saw an excellent meme uh, today, I think, on Twitter that said, um, 
you know, I'm going to go ahead out on the limb and say that whoever the Bears sign to be the quarterback or to be in the quarterback position or, or whatever, uh, people are going to be pissed off about it. No matter who it is, <laughs> people are going to be pissed. If, if it's, you know, Breeze or Brady, why the hell are we giving up this money for this over-the-hill guy and blah, 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 we should be investing in the future and uh, blah, 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 you know, or God forbid if we, if we, you know, draft somebody in the second, like why would you waste a second-round pick on Jake Fromm? This guy's not the, the, the future of the quarterback position or you really think you can come out and, and, and uh, why is Mitch still on the team? Why haven't we traded him yet? Uh, and all the rest of that stuff. So it's just, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this off season is going to uh, unfold, and and uh, when you know free agency and 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 all that kind of stuff. I'm not really even so much concerned about the draft because we got to figure out how we're going to get through free agency first. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm still mentally preparing myself for Marcus Mariota in Chicago next season. So that'll be. I don't. <laughs> what about a guy? And and this was, you know, I was thinking about it before the game, and then he comes out on Sunday, and it, it, Taysom Hill is who I'm talking about. He is also, I don't know what kind of free agent restricted. He, is he restricted? They can so, match. Yes. So that would cost us something somehow. What, what's that? I said he's also 30 years old. I, I forget. Like he, well, he he's from BYU, isn't he? Yeah. Didn't he go on like a mission for like four years or something like that yeah. instead of coming straight out? He entered the NFL at 26, I think, with yeah. the Bay Packers of all right teams. of all teams. Yeah, but I mean, it's like the guy can do everything. Um, he's also ready to be a starter, or so one would think. Uh, anything, but you know, out of his desire to be on the field, he offers himself up as a jack of all trades. And he's not one of those jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none. This guy's good at pretty much everything. He's not just a quarterback. He's a football player. And so it's like I think that it would be like a win-win for the Bears. Like if you brought Taysom Hill in, you have him compete with Mitch for the starting job. Mitch has already got the edge and the familiarity of the offense and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, also the whole thing about, you know, probably Pace and Nagy not wanting to be wrong about Mitch. So we got to give him the edge in the beginning. So then we keep Taysom Hill on the team, and he's the one that's doing all the things like he did and almost won the game against Minnesota practically by himself on Sunday. I still don't necessarily trust him as a full-on every-down quarterback. Just okay. I, it, I mean, in his NFL career, he has attempted, uh, in the regular season, 13 passes for <laughs> 119 yards and an interception and no passing touchdowns in the regular season. I mean, I loved you know, seeing what he was able to do last week. But to me, boy, I'm, I, I don't mind him as a backup quarterback. And sure, give him the opportunity to, to compete to start, absolutely. But I'm not, I'm not trusting him all, all that much yet. I'd give him, you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go into that plan personally feeling great about him actually taking the job. But being able to find a role for him on offense is just, I mean, shows what the Saints are able to do and, and utilize talent to their best ability. And it's, it's felt at times like Chicago has struggled to do that. Well, I just love the idea of having him on the team um, because you remember how how excited Nagy was to have Cordell Patterson on the team, and this you know he was kind of like a a Taysom Hill type guy where he runs the ball, he catches the ball, he can throw, he's a returner, you know. And Nagy's practically drooling over himself about all the possibilities of Cordell Patterson in the offense, where Taysom Hill would probably actually be able to do all of those things that Matt Nagy was fantasizing about, uh, you know, maybe Patterson being able to do this year. And yet it felt like Patterson was like the only player that 
we had we got to have fun with this season. We, we yeah. wanted to see David Montgomery used a little bit more creatively in the passing game because that was the whole reason you got rid of Jordan Howard was to get another running back in there to do more in that regard. And it felt like Tariq Cohen didn't have a uh, fun role. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. He, he was used primarily as a receiver, but his role as a receiver wasn't really all that defined, and it didn't seem like they necessarily got him into – a lot of the advantageous matchups that his, I mean, that's why he, I mean, he's a running back. And so if you can get him matched up with linebackers and safeties instead of cornerbacks, that's where he can win. And it didn't feel like we, it just didn't feel like we were quite getting all of Tariq Cohen that we could have gotten. And, you know, so, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's kind of a tough, it's kind of a tough thing there, but I'd, I'd like to see what Matt Nagy could do. But I also feel like, you know, in terms of like the trick plays and the fun things they did with guys, he also felt like the offense still needed to just do some of the basics before, they get to some of those fun red zone packages and things too. So I, I feel for Matt Nagy in that regard as well, but it's, I don't know. It's a mixed bag there this year. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, we, we've gone through this entire conversation and we, we still couldn't really put a finger on one thing that the offense, uh, you know, why the, the, the offense sank like it did uh, this year. I mean, was it really just the lack of a presence at tight end? This year, I mean, did that one position really hurt the offense as much? Because you were talking about Tariq Cohen, and the first thing that I could think about was watching a uh, film uh, of Brett Coleman breaking down um, the Bears-Eagles game uh, last year, talking about how how much the Bears or how much Tariq Cohen himself missed the presence of Trey Burton because the Eagles didn't have to worry about Trey Burton and then go one-on-one with Tariq Cohen. They could bracket coverage uh, Tariq Cohen instead of going one-on-one uh, with him I mean did he really struggle in the passing game because Trey Burton was non-existent and neither was the tight end position I'm, I'm sure that's an influence I mean when you don't have any sort of threat at that position it makes the defense's job a lot easier but I also never felt like last year that Trey Burton was like truly the dynamic playmaker that we wanted like it still felt like a little bit of a disappointment from him in 2018 with his you know 54 catches for 570 yards and six touchdowns he it was like he was good he was good to get open and catch the ball but he was never like a a truly dynamic threat and and maybe some of that was he he wasn't used vertically a ton and then maybe there's some quarterback things there as far as what Matt Nagy wanted Mitchell Trubisky doing in the offense but so I I mean I I don't know I I don't I don't know that the tight, the lack of Trey Burton specifically was like if they had had a 16 games of healthy Trey Burton, how much better would this offense have been? It would have been better, but I I question how much Trey Burton himself is the true answer, even when healthy. So it's kind of a, I mean, of course we will never have a definitive answer on that, but I, of course it had an influence, but I'm I'm it's hard to gauge how much. Right, right. I mean, I mean that's that's the whole thing as well. I mean, could the offense have been better as a whole? if the offensive line was just better, period. You know, I mean, it just seemed like we struggled week in and week out with something. It was the run game this week. It was the passing game next week. This game, it was both. And then this one game, we're actually good at both. In Dallas, we could pass protect and run protect. And, you know, Montgomery's doing things, and Mitch has his best game of the season and all the rest of that stuff. Fast forward one week later to Green Bay, we can't do any of it right. We can't run the football. Mitch is under pressure. And even though Mitch made his throws and made his plays against Green Bay, the offensive line was terrible uh, against the Packers in, in week 15. It really hurt uh, the offense. And, and it just, you know, was it the offensive line? Did it was a lack of – and it, I think it just goes back to what Olin Krutz said 
it's everything. You know, it was everything. The offense, nobody's playing well. That's why the Bears were three and five at the halfway mark, and at, and in some some ways, lucky to be three and five uh, at the midway mark when I talk to them. And, and so that's what it comes back to, right? It's like so having more tight end production from Trey Burton would would have helped, but it's not everything. And having a better right. offensive line would have helped, but it wasn't wouldn't make up for the tight end, and it wouldn't make you know. So I mean, it's just. The, we, you just can't. There is no answer. That's the that's the problem with this Bears team. There is no answer, and that's I think that's why we're left sort of so dejected after this season. That yeah. even, even when the season's done, we're not sitting here feeling like, oh well, if the Bears just fixed this, then 2020 is going to be great. But now it's like, well, if the Bears just fix everything, then they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and that's all it will take. An absolute overhaul of a roster that was a missed field goal away from a Super Bowl run. Uh, a year ago I, I never felt like the Bears were a kicker away from winning the Super Bowl I thought that we were a missed field goal away from going to the Super Bowl last year you know what I mean I, I was never that that guy that's like if if we solve the kicking position we're home free uh, I just didn't <laughs> I never felt that way I knew that we definitely need to fix it and it was like the biggest focus uh, of the offseason and you wonder what else suffered because of that but you know, I thought it was we were a missed field goal away from a Super Bowl run, not a kicker away from winning the Super Bowl. Well, let me flip that back on you. Do you think they solved the kicker position? I think we're in a hell of a lot better spot than we were a year yeah. ago. That's definitely for sure. I mean, that's I don't think that's going to be a, you know, a 100 percent. We have to fix this. We're not going to have 19 kickers uh, in camp. Uh, with us or and tryouts or or anything there might be another camp leg or two uh this year but for most part it's going to be eddie's job to lose this season and you do you feel comfortable i mean he hit like what 82 percent, and that was better than cody parkey and it was i think around like 16th or 15th in the nfl but i don't know it just felt like do you do you trust eddie Pinero at this point because i i i can't tell if i do or not he's he <laughs> strong but there were a lot of missed kicks and i guess you know, he was pretty automatic from underneath 40, but it feels like most kickers are pretty automatic from underneath 40, but it, it doesn't feel like they need to go out and drastically upgrade the kicker position, but I also right. don't know that I totally trust Eddie Pinero yet. So I, I, where's where's your trust level? Uh, it's a little bit more than 50%, that's for sure. I mean, I trust him more than I don't, I guess, would probably be the best way that I could put it. Uh, it's just that... Um, like I said, I, I definitely think there's going to be competition in camp. I think the, Bing, the, Bears, the Bears will bring somebody else in to kick against him, to kind of push him and not let him, not like with Parkey last year where it was his job and we never brought anybody in, not even to, you know, kind of shake him up a little bit like, oh, the Bears had four kickers uh, in camp this week and, you know, at Hallis Hall in a tryout on Tuesday after Parkey banged four off the uprights against the Lions in that one game. Excuse me. But, you know, I don't think I, – I definitely think there will be somebody there. There will be another Elliot Fry in camp this year that he's going to be kicking against uh, for his job. Yeah, and I think that, that's it's sort of like their responsibility. You're, you're, you're negligent if you don't do that, which the Bears probably were a little negligent when they didn't do that a couple of years ago, like you mentioned. They got to they gotta at least keep something in there just to remind them that, hey, your your job is not safe. Yeah, yeah, so – well, Lauren, where do we go from here? I mean, we, we the Bears have made changes already. 
They got rid of Mark Helfrich. They let go of Harry Heastand. They're gone. We've already replaced Heastand with Juan Castillo, a long-tenured offensive line coach uh, for the for the Eagles, so he has familiarity with Nagy uh, from his time in, in Philadelphia. I think in, in, he's had like six top ten uh, you know, rushing attacks of, you know, that he coached the offensive line uh, for. So he comes with a very impressive resume, but so did Harry Heastand. So, I mean, I don't know where exactly where that puts us, but at least it's somebody with familiarity with Nagy and, and you know, possibly the offense that he's looking to run, maybe have a better, better understanding of what the linemen need to do on the field next year. And that was one of the things as far as familiarity with Matt Nagy's offense that I'm, I'm interested to see with who they bring in as the new offensive coordinator. Because yeah. when, when Nagy built his offensive coaching staff the first time, it was sort of this idea of bringing in a bunch of different guys from a bunch of different backgrounds and sort of have a, a melding of the minds that if we take a little bit of, of Oregon and a little bit of Andy Reid's Kansas City system and maybe a little bit of Notre Dame's running game from the offensive line coach and a little bit of what Mike Furry's doing and you know, then you can piece together some sort of hybrid offense that has some of the best of a bunch of different pieces. But it, it ended up being much more of a lack of identity and a lack of direction than a, a perfect mixture of all these different ideas. So I, I would, if I'm the Bears, I'm looking to bring in more people from the Andy Reid system so I can just have Matt Nagy on the same page as my offensive coordinator, on the same page as my offensive line coach, and on the same page as my quarterback's coach so that we have – an offensive identity that everyone is familiar with and sticking to. You don't have position coaches trying to learn the offense at the same time as the players that they're trying to coach. I think that's that's a, a problem, or just not necessarily a problem, but less than ideal. And now that the identity issues seem to be a, a real thing with this team, getting some continuity and some cohesion in that regard of just guys that know this system so they're all on this, uh, closer of the same page, I think because everyone will still have their different flavors on it, but they'll all just be so familiar with the system. That would be my ideal go-to for an offensive coordinator rather than trying to bring in another outside guy, even if it's an impressive outside guy like, you know, Jay Gruden or Pat Shermer or whoever. I mean, well, Shermer has some has some ties to the West Coast system, but regardless, you know, to get an Andy Reid type guy that's really a true and true fit with Nagy, I think would be my preference. So would you want a Mike Kafka coming in? <laughs> I I, I don't know how I feel about Kafka just because yeah. he's so inexperienced and he's not calling plays. So this is sort of the the right time to do it, you know, where he's not going to be asked to have to react to game situations that he's just not familiar with. But I, I don't know. I, 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 I'd be OK with it, but I don't I don't know. There's not a, there's not an offensive coordinator candidate that I'm like super in love with that also fits the Matt Nagy experience. Andy Reid, like, you know, there's um. The I'm, I'm spacing on his name, but uh, Mar Marty Morningway, the the Ravens offensive coordinator of late, he he worked with Andy Reid and Matt Nagy in Philadelphia for a long time, and Juan Castillo, and he would have that experience, but he's also been kind of a a bad offensive coordinator on the other teams that he's been with. So there, there's not a, a clear golden answer there. So I I would be okay with Kafka, but I I'm still sort of looking for the ideal candidate, and I don't know that I found him yet. Yeah, I'm uh. I'm I'm just happy that Helfrich is gone because it just seemed like I, I I the parts where I felt that I saw too much of a college influence on the offense was like on third down and tell me if you agree with me uh, on this because I think that 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 Helfrich and in turn Nagy were expecting our receivers to be able to do something you can get away with in college 
where there are a lot of good athletes on the field, but not as many great athletes like you'll find in the NFL. Like how many times did you see on third and eight everyone running a three or four yard route and then being expected to gain the rest of the yards on their own, make a guy miss a tackle or break this or get a block here or whatever to get the first down as opposed to getting past the goddamn sticks before looking for the football. And some of that, I mean, I mean, some of that goes on them not trusting the offensive line to be able to hold I, up. You know what? I was talking to my dad about that earlier today, and I was like, that may have been a factor, that because we didn't trust the offensive line, you just want to get the ball out of their hands. But it's like too, it was like almost every time we had a third and six or a third and eight, third and ten, we're running routes where we're, we've still got half the distance to make by the time the receiver catches the football. And some of it, too, might be a trust in the quarterback thing. Do they do they trust Mitchell Trubisky with a, a longer developing play with more complex reads to be able to have to wait for somebody to get open down the field? Again, it's sort of like back to this theme of like it's yeah. never just one Not thing. Not just one it, thing, yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, some of it is probably – poor decisions by the play callers to not have more guys getting open beyond the line of scrimmage. Some of it is probably a lack of a trust in the offensive line. Some of it might be Mitchell Trubisky and not being able to have more complex plays. It's it's not just fix the O-line and third down will be better or fire the offensive coordinator and third down will be better because, man, that's it's it's this is a frustrating and difficult spot to be in. Yes, and we've been talking about it now for over an hour, and we are nowhere near any closer to solving the problem than we were when we started so how about we just stop here lauren how about that um 2020 what we have to look forward to uh, i think i saw it on twitter today we have i think eight or more games against teams that finish below 500 this year so if we play our cards right 2020 can be a bounce back year for the bears we have the afc south and the nfc south next year so the falcons the panthers the saints and the buccaneers the Colts, the Jags, the Texans, and the um, Titans. Uh, then obviously we have our two each against the division, and then our same place opponents are the Giants and the Rams uh, next season. So I mean, that's what we're what we're up against. I mean, just looking at that on paper, you know, how do you think this team can do next year, or do or do we have to go through the off season before we even try to figure that out? Definitely need the off season before we put any numbers on it. But right. on, on paper, that's if if you had to sit here and say, okay, which divisions would I like to play in the NFL next season based on what we know right now? Yeah, I, I think you know NFC or AFC South is probably near the top of the list for me. I mean, maybe the AFC East is with some of the struggles they have. But you know, what I mean, obviously you can you can debate each division, but those are not bad choices by any means in terms of on paper talent to have to play next season. So. And the, the one thing I'm dreading the most, I think, is you know, we had the Patrick Mahomes-Trubisky game this year, and next year we'll have the Deshaun Watson-Trubisky game where all oh. we talk about is the two quarterbacks and you know, the Bears took Trubisky over Deshaun Watson. and yada, yada, you know, We're, we're going to get plenty <laughs> of that next year, too. And that game is in Chicago, too. Mm. So Chicago Bear fans get an up-close look at the guy that we should have taken, quote-unquote, uh, at number three instead of trading up to two. Uh, to get Trubisky, you know, let Watson fall to us. I think you were one of those guys, weren't you? You were a Deshaun Watson guy in a bear uniform, weren't you? I was. I was on board with Deshaun Watson at, at number three or number two when they traded up. But, you know, it yeah, happened. I, was, I wasn't. I was not. Um, I didn't uh, I didn't trust him. I didn't. I mean, it's got the same thing with, with Vince Young. I was like, the, the guy is enormously talented. He's 
an absolute leader. His teammates love him uh, and things like that. But, you know, in college he ran as much as he threw, and that's not a, that's not a recipe for longevity in the NFL. Like, I think it's fantastic what Lamar Jackson is doing. Can he do it for 10 years? The, the history says no. You know, he might he very well might be the NFL MVP this year. He might take the Ravens to a Super Bowl. Can he do it again next year? I want that guy to prove I really honestly want him to prove me wrong so that I can believe in the next Deshaun Watson the Bears might be able to get to draft. Yeah, and it's a matter of how many years away we are from from that opportunity as far as when when the Bears decide to make a more substantive quarterback change and when they even have a draft pick to be able to right. a young quarterback, which is a whole other dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lauren, uh, this has been great, man. I appreciate you coming back on and, uh, you know, humoring all of my thoughts and my uh, my belly aching, my sadness and uh, and whatnot. And uh, as, as usual, we look forward to having you back on many times during the during the off season and in the into the 2020 regular season where we're hopefully we'll be able to uh, temper our expectations a bit better and, and more into the reality uh, scheme of things. And, uh, you know, we'll get better results next year, I think. Yeah, being able to go through it with you is always I, – I was going to use the word enjoyable, but when it's a season <laughs> like this, I don't, I don't know if enjoyable is quite the right word, but it's always therapeutic, question mark. It, there you, you know, go. It's yeah. always, it's always a, a good time. It's always a fun podcast, even if the, the feelings sometimes are, are sour. But I appreciate you having me on, as always, and I always look forward to these every year. All right, and Lauren Cox from uh, Locked on Bears, and uh, he's an analyst for Pro Football Focus. Where else can we find you? On Twitter, at Cox Sports 1. I still do some Bears writing over at Bears Wire as well, but you know, always, always putting the good stuff on Twitter. All right, Lauren Cox, thanks so much uh, for coming on, man. We look forward to having you back on again real soon. Remember, guys, uh, promo code CHAIR to double your first deposit at mybookie.ag where you play, you win, and you get paid. And always uh, want to thank Lauren for um, coming on the show, um, <laughs> navigating the muddy waters that was the 2019 season. And we talked for well over an hour and not even anywhere closer to figuring out you know, a solution for everything that went wrong because literally everything went wrong one time or another this season, you know, whether it was injuries, whether it was penalties and, you know, we struggled to run the ball. Then this week we struggled to pass. And when we were, we were passing the ball, but our receivers were dropping the ball and uh, we couldn't force turnovers like we did last year and we couldn't rush the passer. Uh, because no one was helping out Khalil Mack, so they didn't have a reason to not double and triple team him, so on and so forth down the line. So, yeah. So, yeah, you guys just wasted an hour and 30-plus minutes of your life, and uh, I want to thank you for doing that and and, and sticking in uh, with me here at the end. Um, talk about what's ahead uh, for 2020. Um we talked about it briefly uh, during the uh, during the interview. Um, we got the AFC South and the NFC South next year uh, on the schedule. Two t- two divisions that um, 
uh, each only well, actually, the Titans are still in this thing. So are the Texans. They both won their their wild card games at the time of this recording. They're playing again this weekend to see if they can advance to the uh, championship rounds. But um, you know, you got the Texans and the Titans in the playoffs. You got the Colts and the Jaguars. Um, the last time we played the AFC South, we should have won all four games, and instead we lost all four games. We were winless against that division in 2016. But then again, we practically went winless in 2016, period. We were 3-13 and 13, uh, in that year. That was a bitch of a season, man. Um, Cutler goes down, and Barkley's the quarterback, or it's Hoyer. Then he breaks an arm, and like, oh, what, what a year that was. Good God. But um, and then the NFC South, we last played them in 2017, almost beat Atlanta week one when they were the defending NFC champions, uh, got smoked by Tampa. Um, and let's see, who else did we play? Carolina. That was the Eddie Jackson game. That was very exciting. And then the Saints um, was infamous for being the Zach Miller game, uh, unfortunately, where he caught the touchdown pass that was stolen uh, from him on on replay we're still still pissed off about that one and he bent his leg in every wrong direction you possibly could when he came down with that pass and um that was the last time zach miller wore a football uniform and um which is a shame because he is a fantastic player a good tight end for us i really really liked uh zach miller but um so hopefully we can avenge some of that uh this year coming up in in 2020 same place opponents are the giants so we'll be seeing them again and the rams so we'll be seeing them again uh as well and of course we have two each uh this year against the vikings packers and lions and you know we got to have those packer games i think that will determine everything so um but um yeah big things ahead like i said the off season should be interesting because there's a lot of things to address and how how do we address them what do we save for the draft what do we address in the offseason especially with our limited cap space what kind of moves will we make in order to open up some cap space and and things like that so here's what's going to happen with the show though you will not see me again for the month of january i'm taking the rest of the month off i'm taking the playoffs off essentially i'll be back after the Super Bowl and um, we'll talk about the the Super Bowl and who won who should have won and, and and all the rest of that stuff maybe try and see if I can get some of my uh, some some interesting guests on the show um, was talking to Lauren about an interesting idea and I might not just do it with Lauren maybe I'll have some other guests on the show uh, to kind of do this um, stealing an idea that I saw in two places and two very odd places. One was Disney Plus. The other was ESPN, where they did this show called What If. And for the Disney Plus thing, it's it's a show they're going to be doing about Marvel. You know, what if uh, Iron Man died or something? Or what if it was, uh, what if, um, what's her name, was uh, Peggy Carter was Captain Britain or something like that. And all the rest of that stuff. You know, these weird scenarios that they play out. And the, the ESPN one was uh, about college football. Uh, what if Texas wins the Rose Bowl in 2000? Or excuse me, what if USC wins the Rose Bowl in 2006? The Vince Young-Leinert game. That had been a third straight championship for 
USC? Does Pete Carroll leave and go to the NFL? So on and so forth and trickle down the uh, line. I thought it might be interesting to do uh, a show or two about what if for the Bears. What if in 98 we drafted Randy Moss instead of Curtis Enos? I mean, just on the face of it, that sounds ridiculous that we didn't do that, that we picked Curtis Enos instead of Randy Moss. But 21, I think Randy Moss didn't get picked to like 22. So 21 teams passed on Moss to begin with. So it wasn't just us. Um, you know, what if uh, we pick this guy instead of that one or we sign this guy instead of that guy? What if we hire Arians instead of Tressman and all that kind of fun stuff? Um, see what kind of guests I can get interested in a situation uh, like that or a scenario like that. And it might be a, a thing where we dedicate an entire show to one topic or maybe we'll do a show where we've got four or five different topics. I haven't quite decided yet but it's an idea that i definitely want to play with one that i want to do uh, a show on and if you've got any ideas about a what if throw them my way at uh, btu underscore larry on uh, on twitter uh you can also uh, throw in your suggestions on the facebook page uh just search bears talk underground and join the facebook group uh as well so throw me your ideas uh if you have any um, I also might come in and do some random stuff. Uh, a buddy of mine and I have been talking about maybe doing an XFL uh, show just to see what uh, what that might be, and uh, maybe we'll test the waters here first. But if if you know if we end up doing the show, it's just something we were talking about. I don't know if we'll actually go ahead and do it, so I don't mean to tease you, but um, you know that's out there uh, as well. Maybe I'll come around and do an off the subject show like i'm a big movie guy so maybe i'll talk about the oscars or something something fun like that but once i come back in february the goal is to do one show a week uh through the off season and every now and again we'll be able to sprinkle in the normal off seasons for all my ogs that have been with me for a while usually it's like the season would end in you know january and then you wouldn't hear from me again until March just before free agency and I would do a free agency preview and then a free agency review and so on and so forth so those shows will all be coming but I want to kind of mix them in with other shows uh, I'm not a big I, I love the draft but I'm not a big draft Nick so I'm not going to come in and, and do a de you know dedicated entire episode on the tight end prospects of the 2020 draft that's not what I do um so I, I won't be wasting the airwaves. Uh, it would be a waste for me uh, to do it because it would be a boring show because I don't I'm not I'm not up on that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, but that's the, that's kind of the idea. See what kind of guests I can get uh, on the show to, to come in and, and talk to us, whether it's uh, bears related or sports related or nothing related just to have them on. Um, you know, maybe try to get somebody on the show that's a Bears fan, uh, maybe talk a little bit of Bears, but talk about what they're doing and what's going on with them and so on and so forth. Like try to get guys like uh, Kyle Brandt and Adam Rank and uh, so on and so forth back on the show. See if we can get Olin Krutz and Emery Moorhead uh, back on to talk to us about a thing or two uh, here and there. So um, should be an interesting off season. Like I've said a couple of times already, 
for everything that's going to happen between now and free agency and then free agency itself and then the draft it's 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 and a critical off season uh for Nagy and pace because if we have another 2019 i feel like a year from now we'll be talking about the new coach of the chicago bears and possibly the new general manager along with him uh as well if this team falters again in 2020 uh or at the very least looks as discombobulated and confused and you know as they did this season so there you have it so um i will be back in february enjoy this month enjoy the playoffs because if the wild card weekend is any kind of representation for what we have for these next few uh weeks remaining in the season should be a lot of fun finding out who the next super bowl champion is considering it won't be the goddamn patriots for a change they're not even going to the super bowl this time so they can't win or lose the damn thing they're not going at all they're done for this season thank god opens things up in the afc so i'm looking forward uh to that and whoever is the last man standing in the nfc will they have the gas tank to finish the job in the super bowl or will they be beaten to death by the gauntlet they had to run through just to get there so that should be fun so um basically the next episode for for now let's just say it's going to be a super bowl review uh, episode we'll talk about the game and uh anything that's happened uh in the last month and um kind of lay the groundwork for um what i've been doing for the month of january trying to set up shows and what ideas i've come across and uh uh, and so forth so um i love you guys man i really appreciate you all my listeners uh all my ogs and the new people and uh people that are you know the new followers i find on twitter every day or that find me uh and everything and um it's been an awesome ride. Uh, we're closing the book on year number 13 doing this episode. So it was not a lucky number 13. It was a very unlucky 13. So we'll close the book on season number 13 of the Bears Talk Underground. And we look forward to kicking it off with season 14 in February. So thanks so much for being with me through this very tough year. We made it to the end. Now we close the book on it. We'll see you in February the debut of season number 14 so until then my name is larry d and this has been the bears talk underground we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... 
and you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.